The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. How much money really is in the whole Christmas song malarkey and who gets the most out of it every year? David Hanratty is an arts and culture journalist. He's the host of the No Encore podcast and he's with me now. Hi, David. Hey, how are you? Uh, I should say that, you know, just be careful on the Queen of Christmas thing because that is currently subject to a legal challenge. So you don't want to get yourself in some hot water. There are people (laughs) gunning for that very, very coveted title right now as we speak. I don't even know who the alternative queens of Christmas would be, but I'm sure there's a list that could be provided. These Christmas songs just keep paying out, don't they? It's crazy. It's such a huge, huge industry, and it seems to be increasing year on year. Now, I should say, like, I mean, the it, the goalposts tend to shift on this, again, also every 12 months or so. So you got your big hitters, you got your league tables, and we can go through some of the, some of the main ones now. It's a lot of household names. People will be familiar with these songs. They may very well be sick of some of these songs, but judging by these figures, perhaps not. Uh, it's hard to kind of nail it down. I mean, in terms of, like, let's look at the States, for example. They estimate over there that it's about $177 million per year is what royalties kind of come out to on Christmas songs. Ireland and the UK, obviously not as much, but still you've got massive heavy, heavy hitters. And I think we should talk about Mariah Carey because for her alone, well, I guess also her co-writer who should get a mention too, this is, <laughs> it's more than just a song that we hear at this time of year. And as you say, as soon as Halloween happens, it's it, that's it, it's over now. Here comes Mariah saying 1st November, it's Christmas time. This is a, it's a book, it's an animated film, it's everything. It's one of the most marketable Christmas songs of all time. She has changed her brand completely at this time of year to be there and to be like, go to my website, buy my merch, listen to the song. But yeah, it is. I mean, like, it's still a huge, huge industry all of its own. Yeah. I mean, I think she makes something like 450 grand every year from the one song, which is nuts. Like, when you think about it, she wrote it along with her co-writer many, many years ago. But none of it even comes close to Noddy Holder, who, if he only had written one song in his entire lifetime, he was set for life, which is Merry Christmas, Everybody by Slade. Yeah, so essentially we're dealing with uh, kind of more European-based figures here. Like I say, again, I, I, the numbers can be can be complicated, but yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody, which we all know. I mean, I'm sure you're hearing it in your head right now. It is incredible. Uh, it has the staying power. So about every year or so, that nets them about a million British pounds. It's, you know, 1.4, or 1, 1.14 million euro, I should say, in this this part of the world. So Noddy Holder's been very, very good about this. He has said before that, like, it's my pension. It's my pension plan. It's my it's my retirement gig. It's my uh, nest egg. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Say, you and I may be contributing to a pension. It's not going to give us a million a year, no matter how hard we try. Oh, we didn't write that song, though. I mean, this is the, like, like we missed out. Like, like, why didn't we write this song is the real question here. Is it good, though? I mean, like, are these songs just so insistent and that's why they catch on? Some of them pop up in films. I mean, that Slade one is everywhere. Mariah Carey's everywhere. And yeah, again, like, I mean, like, you quoted a figure there. It, it changes. She herself has said, oh, I actually make 2.5 million a year off this. But of course, that's also tying in every other marketing strand that that song plugs into. Mm. And I wonder with Christmas songs, you hear them in the shops all the time. They're on, you know, they're in Love Actually. They're in different TV shows. They're all over the radio. And there are, of course, around the world, there are places that from the 1st of November just play Christmas songs all day long. So in and of itself, is there a cynicism there? Do we actually love these songs? Do they make us feel joyful? I mean, do you feel joyful listening to some of these songs? 
occasionally I mean like if, if I hear Bing Crosby I probably will go yeah definitely Stop the Cavalry by Jonah Louis not so much E17 a rather controversial Christmas song because all they did was jingle a little bit of a bell at the start for it to qualify yeah I mean these songs signify the start of Christmas for me but when I hear the likes of Lizzo coming out with one uh, Ariana Grande and her Christmas tree farm I wish she'd move there and stay <laughs> there uh, for the month of December because I'm fed up listening to it I mean they, 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 so many people seem to be under pressure now to write a Christmas song because they want to be Noddy Holder getting a million euros a year. Yeah, of course. And the, I guess whoever writes it, of course, gets the you know the main chunk of change here. The, the lead songwriter is always going to get the most money. Producer who's involved in the track as well. So when the pop kids come in, like the ones that you've mentioned and say like Justin Bieber and others who have covered the Mariah song and many, many others, and then they come out with their own stuff as well. I think for the most part, they're just keeping themselves in the conversation. It makes perfect sense for them to be like, oh, just put out a Christmas song. Just put out a Christmas album. People will buy it. They'll do anything we do. I mean, if you look at one of the biggest songs in the world uh, right now. So the Korean boy band, BTS, uh, one of them, a guy called V, put out a song at the end of 2021. It was tired. Kieran Cuddihy, by the way, who's not here to defend himself, huge fan of BTS, has they're, all their albums. Uh, they're very good. Uh, I'm sure Kieran is a huge fan, of it, as you say, but they, they're one of the biggest marketing campaigns all by themselves, I mean, in terms of just how global they are. But one of them puts out a Christmas song last year. It's one of the most played things on Spotify. So it does change. I think it's important for kind of young pop stars to get involved, kind of have their share of the pie. But I do want to go back, though, because Stay by E17 that you mentioned, which is on this list. It's kind of at the lower end, brings in about a hundred grand a year for them. That's a Christmas song. That's a great Christmas song. I know you're saying like it just has the jingle bells Ish. on it in the background, but Ish. one of the better ones, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Definitely one of the better ones, um, considering the rest of their stuff was fairly, fairly out yeah, there. Yeah, that's fair. Um, when you think about it, I mean, they're, they're still making money. But do you notice how Buble uh, isn't necessarily on this list? But is that because a lot of the songs Buble sings are not original, so therefore he, he, he doesn't get his biggest slice of the pie from, from their play? Yeah, exactly. He's big into his old standards, isn't he? And like, I was thinking about this. I was like, do we owe Michael Bublé an apology? That kind of joke. You know, oh, he's being thought out for Christmas. Here we go. That's kind of all like all, all we ever see him. He'll pop up maybe at this time of the year. But for him, a Christmas song is a way of driving ticket sales to his gigs. And then people will go to those. They might hear a Christmas song depending on what time of the year it's at. Personally, I think it's a bit perverse to play a Christmas song in the summer, but some people will do it. But uh, yeah, no, Buble, essentially, like, he's kind of in that weird kind of grey area where he can't get the royalties, he can't get the copyright. And I do find that kind of strange. You think someone as savvy as him would have cracked this by now, but again, he didn't write that Slade song. It's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Back to school with you, Buble. Um, Andy Williams is on this list, which I, and I'm surprised because it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, I don't know whether it has enjoyed a resurgence since they compiled this list, but it is one of the more, uh, I suppose, synonymous songs with Christmas in, in my mind. But poor old Andy Williams, God rest him, doesn't get much out of it. Yeah, like I say, the data on this does change. And it is, you know, studies are done every now and then by television stations, radio stations, and just kind of independent researchers on occasion. But the Andy Williams one is interesting. He actually is having a resurgence with this song in America specifically. Uh, it's listed down here by Billboard as the third most popular holiday recording of 2018. So you're going back about four years there. And essentially they, they did a comparison. They said like 10 years previous, it sold 52,000 units as like a physical single. But in 2018, it was streamed online 839,000 times. So I wonder if, is he too American kind of associated. I, I I also thought it would have been more of a worldwide smash for him, but it's coming back. And I think with streaming platforms, with social media, and with kind of, you know, almost product placement really with some of these songs, 
you are finding some acts kind of surging up the table every now and then, but at the same time, no one's going to depose Mariah Carey. No one's going to depose Slade. Fairytale New York is still obviously huge. And I think even in recent years as well, the whole controversy, quote unquote, with regards to the lyrics, all that's done is drive people to listen to it more and in a lot of cases appreciate it more. Mm. And, and certainly not like the versions uh, that that changed the lyrics uh, because it wasn't exactly true to what the late great Kirsten McCall and, and Shane McGowan produced. Chris Ree is driving home for Christmas is, is up there as well. I know Dermot Kennedy has done a cover of that this year, um, but that doesn't necessarily always mean it's going to be successful because people will always benchmark it against Chris Ria's version. Yeah, and Dermot Kennedy, of course, is going to bring his his specific brand of you know emotional balladeering to it, and I say that as someone who likes Dermot Kennedy. The Chris Ria one is interesting because, of course, he's talked about it for years, but how it was the ultimate throwaway song. He essentially was frustrated by literally traveling alone for Christmas. He was encouraged, possibly by his wife, to write the song, and he was like, "All right, fine, I'll do it." knocked it out in no time at all, and of course it's massive. But for someone like Chris Ria, he doesn't really have the worldwide catalogue outside of this. This is an interesting one because it opens up those doors and it does get radio play in places that he might not ordinarily feature. So does it become an albatross around the neck or are you just like, you know what, that's a pretty big paycheck, I guess, you know, in those months of the year and I'm, I'm happy enough with that. And I should say as well, you know, you mentioned Bing Crosby earlier on. I do think the Chris Rear one has that Heartland feel. It does kind of make me picture a roaring fire. It does make me picture the swapping out the stress of getting home for Christmas and then once you're there, it actually is an enjoyable kind of warm blanket over you. So mm. fair play, Chris. That's what I say. Yeah, well done, Chris. But you can say well done to others. And particularly, can you imagine the meeting of record executives who said, "What well, we've, we've got Ed Sheeran and Elton John to combine in a Christmas song. Lads, we will be raking it in for generations to come. And they produced one of the worst Christmas songs <laughs> in history. Uh, last year, it maybe is down to the fact it was a kind of a covid type thing. Mm. But mother of mercy, it's awful. Yeah, I was a little bit frightened there. I thought you were about to go into full praiseful mode and I just was going to have to try and temper my words, really. But no, I mean, like, it's certainly one of those ones where it's popular online in as much as, again, it's very shareable. It's, uh, I was going to say it's two legends teaming up. Uh, People might not be happy referring to one of them as legend, but, you know, Ed Sheeran, the biggest name in music in terms of selling things. And Elton John, of course, this beloved figure for, for years to come. How could it possibly go so wrong? It is dreadful. Um, you have to also, you know, talk about the dreadful Christmas song in this in this whole mix. Do they matter? Is it more about the personality? Is that song even a success? It did feel very cynical to me, and I think you're dead right about the whole pandemic tie-in. I wonder if it won't have that kind of escapist feel, you know, that some of these other songs do yeah. have, because it is tied to that specific era that we all struggled through. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from four. On News Talk.